The number one question we get from listeners is, do we have a written step-by-step roadmap to guide you on how to train your dog? We don't, but Standing Stone Supply does. They're the creators of the complete step-by-step dog training program that takes your dog from brand new puppy and gets it well on its way to that finished dog you've always dreamed of. They've mapped out the timelines to help guide you, the videos for every step of the way to show you, and even have the needed gear made into shopping lists to make it easy to supply you. Check out the course at StandingStoneSupply.com to gain unlimited access for all current as well as future lessons and be sure to use the code GDIY to save 10% at sign up. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. With the compensation is that, you know, when they injure that knee, they're not put, putting full weight on that leg. Okay, so what they're doing then is they're putting loading the opposite leg. So that ACL and the other leg says, whoa, I wasn't supposed to carry this much. Um, and it's, it's starting to actually show inflammation. We- One thing we all love to do with our dogs is hit the road and go on new adventures. In order for that to happen, we have to be able to safely and efficiently travel with our dogs. Dakota 283 is dedicated to building unparalleled pet protection and tailgate lifestyle products for you and your best friends. Their one-piece roto-molded kennels have many options such as the Hero Series for military-grade crates, T1 low-profile kennels that will fit truck beds with tonneau covers, and their most popular G3 Series that's available in any size you'll need. Dakota not only offers many different sizes and styles of kennels, they also offer products and accessories to help with food and water transport, truck bed storage, and even grooming stations. Have a new puppy and only want to buy one kennel instead of buying multiple ones as they grow? Look at the Forever Kennel Insert Divider that gives you the ability to buy a kennel now and adjust the size inside as needed. No matter what you need to get you on your next adventure with your dog, Dakota has it for you. Check them out now at Dakota283.com. Your new 283 lifestyle is just one click and free shipping away. All right, everybody, we are back. Joe is with me as usual. We're finally back on the uh, bandwagon doing it the right way. Joe, how you doing this evening? You know, I've, 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 I'm the one who carries this podcast. Let's let's be real. <laughs> you do, man. There's no, there's no podcast without Joe. You know, I, this, yeah, I don't know if you notice this, but this is episode 100, the full length episode 100. We've had we've had more than 100 episodes if you count the bonus episodes. But as far as full length regular episodes, it is now 100. Who would have thought? <laughs> I was about to say, did you honestly think we were going to get this far when we started it? I think you don't. You don't even think about it that far. We we we've talked about when we wanted to start the podcast. It was like, oh, okay. I think this would be good. And yeah, you don't think about almost. I guess I mean it's really close to two years later now. Two years later, and over a hundred episodes. When you think about all the other I was, ones, I was about to say we're. I think we're like a month off from two years, something like that. But yeah, I mean it's it's been crazy to think that we've we've done a hundred regular episodes. So uh, yeah, I mean that's uh, at least a hundred hours of your your time editing and publishing and doing all that fun stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. 
I need to make it down to Adair Family Farms and uh, celebrate with some ugly dog, you know? Hey, it's just waiting on you down here along with a uh, pigeon coop that I finally had a chance to uh, pretty much wrap up this weekend finally. It's it's only been a couple months in the making, but uh, it's it's ready for birds now, man. So, I saw the video. It's, it's nice enough that I could move down there. <laughs> you going to live in the pigeon coop? Yeah, I could go live in the pigeon coop. You going to home back? No, I'll stay there. <laughs> Nice. You got you, you you cook some of that food on the Traeger, and if I got some ugly dog, I'm good to go. There you go. That's that's what it's all about. Well, you want to hit everybody with a review, and uh, we can hop off this, and everybody can kind of get to the uh, the reason why they came here, which is to hear a b- bunch of good information from uh, Doctor Sherman and Deborah Knapp. They uh, specialize in sports medicine for dogs, and so we kind of break down a lot of a lot pretty much everything you need to know as far as joints the common uh common hurdles the common injuries uh warning signs some tips to keep up with your dogs and look out for it and then uh then we kind of go on the uh a crazy tangent with supplements everything you need to know about supplements and uh get your notepads ready and pens and uh yeah it's it there's a lot of names and a lot of abbreviations and uh a lot of sciencey talk and uh but it's it's a lot of good information is what we need to know and uh, a lot of good tips and so hopefully everybody that's been writing in with a bunch of questions as far as the best way to condition your dogs and how long and how hard hopefully this will kind of guide you in the right direction as far as making those decisions but it's a it's a Great information. I appreciate the uh, recommendation from Mark to put me in contact with Sherman and Deborah, and they they worked with me. It was about a three or four week process to get scheduled, and uh, we made it happen at the last second to close out this veterinary series. And uh, yeah, hope you guys enjoy it. And Joe, I guess you can hit everybody with that review of the week, and uh, we can get to them. Yeah, man. We've uh, after these past couple weeks. Um, We've got like GDIY University going on. I mean, it's just crazy the amount of information that has been in these past episodes. It's, it's, it's not awesome. worth any credit hours, by the way. No, no, no credit hours, but your dog will thank you. All right. Well, Nick, this is kind of uh, this is actually the most recent review, but I, we, we were talking about it before um, we actually went live, and I said, "Oh, well, this is actually a really good review for the hundredth episode." Mm-hmm. Uh, and says he, uh, it's Sticker Burrs. I like That's the name. easy. Yep. I appreciate. Yep, I appreciate. Uh, there's no uh, me not realizing what he's uh, what his username <laughs> is. It's Sticker Burrs. Sticker Burrs. Um, and they say, listen every week, just like a good bird dog. GDIY performs consistently and does quality work. The hosts are great spokespeople for those engaged in the g- gun dog lifestyle. The only time I want to use the continuous button for avoidance behavior is during the tip of the week or when Nick says he's living the dream. <laughs> I particularly enjoy listening to episodes with breeders who talk about the type they try to produce. Thanks all. Thanks for well, thanks for all your hard work. It's nine o'clock. <laughs> Nick, it's, it's it's my bedtime coming up. <laughs> yeah, we're past it's your bedtime. Words. Hey, you, you you didn't mess up the name, but but yeah. So sticker birds will be happy to know. You know, we we haven't really done the tip of the week the past few weeks, and uh, it, and you have and you have yet to say uh, living the dream can't complain on on this very episode <laughs> well, well i was gonna say you know that sticker bird is living the dream because we're kind of done doing the tip of the week because unless the uh, viewers start sharing some tips of the week then uh, i'm not just gonna keep throwing out my own little tips of the week right so sticker birds appreciate your feedback and uh constructive criticism 
don't like the tip of the week or the fact that I live the dream. But uh, anyway, yeah, appreciate it. And hopefully you stick around and hopefully we keep continuing with the content that uh, made you a fan that has you tune in every, every week. So uh, appreciate it. Hit me up, uh, gundog at yourself at gmail.com. We'll shoot you a sticker in the mail. Uh, everybody go check out Instagram and Facebook. Once we get the post up for this episode, we're going to have links up to uh, Deborah and Sherman on uh, their website where if you have any questions or want to reach out to them directly, you can. And then also uh, I'm trying to get that uh, big list of supplements that you'll hear us reference in the episode. But other than that, Joe, you got anything else? Nope, that's it. Have a great week, yeah, guys. Hope everybody had a great 4th of July, and we'll see you back next week. We get asked all the time what the most important thing to consider is when training and living with a hunting dog, and they're often surprised when they hear us answer with proper nutrition. It's pretty obvious when you think about it, though. It doesn't matter how well the dog is trained if it doesn't have the right fuel. The saying garbage in, garbage out rings true in dog nutrition. Yukonuba's premium performance lineup goes beyond just protein and fat with a number of different formulas designed to fuel your dog's specific activity level while supporting their recovery and optimizing their nutrient delivery. The proof is in the pudding, or lack thereof, when you make the switch to Yukonuba. You'll see immediate results in your dog's energy level and drive. They have a formula for every type of dog from your hardest working dog in the field to your laziest retired dog on the couch. Head on over to yukanubasportingdog.com to find the right formula for your hunting partner. Make the switch today and let Yukonuba fuel your dog so you can focus on what you and your dog actually love to do, work. Picture this. You just finished a long day's hunt, or a long day in the training field grooming your next champion. You've run through your entire string of dogs in anticipation for the next fall. You think the day's over. It's not, though. Your day's not over until you let that ugly dog hunt. No hunting or training session is complete without capping it off with one of the spirits from Ugly Dog Distillery. They're Michigan-raised and purebred handcrafted spirits. They have everything you need from vodka and gin to your more traditional after-hunt choice Kentucky bourbon. Head on over to UglyDogDistillery.com to check availability within your state. And if you have an upcoming event that's alcohol-friendly, then be sure to reach out to us and see if we can add another Ugly Dog to the lineup. We'll tell you right now, we aren't much on flavored whiskeys, but you have to try their peanut butter whiskey. Unlike other peanut butter whiskeys out there, Ugly Dogs is made with real Kentucky bourbon and not just grain alcohol with syrup. So after your next hunt or a long day of testing and you're trying to decide what to drink, reach for the bottle with Ruger, the German wire hair pointer on it. It was handcrafted by people just like us. Dog people. Every adventure starts somewhere. Make sure yours includes an ugly dog at your side. Explore responsibly. All right, we are joined this week with Sherman and Deborah Knapp. How are you guys doing today? Great. How are you? Well, I appreciate you making time for me this evening. I, I guess there's really nowhere else to start but to go ahead and introduce yourselves and, and go through all the crazy acronyms and abbreviations I was reading on your guys' profiles on your website. Yeah, I'll let Deb go first. Okay. She's, she's, she's the important one. Nope, nope. Sherman always starts. Oh, go wow. All right. <laughs> so, Sherman Knapp, I'm a... Uh, veterinary orthopedic surgeon um, went to uh, went to uh, school out of Kansas State did a, a DVM and a master's and then did a uh, internship at Missouri and my surgical residency was at the University of Florida and uh, I'm board certified by the American College of Veterinary Surgeons and also the American College of Veterinary Sports Medicine and Rehab and uh, I'm the past president of, of that college um, 
I'm also the um, National Director for Sports Medicine Rehab and Regenerative Medicine for Pathway. And we have a couple companies, OSM, the Veterinary Sports Medicine Group was our uh, flagship uh, here in the Baltimore area. And then we had affiliations in uh, Philadelphia, Nashville, Seattle, Finland, Australia. And uh, we, um, we also have a research development company called Earth Biologic Innovations, and that's a company that's translational. So basically, we take products, technologies, devices um, from human medicine to veterinary and from veterinary to human. And uh, so we've done all sorts of things like stem cell therapy and come up with implants for ACL injury and different types of scopes and devices for performance dogs, working dogs, um, supplements, you name it. We've kind of worked with it in, in that regards. And then most recently um, is our CANAP Sports Medicine. Uh, with COVID, a lot of the uh, continuing education and ability for traveling for vets and for owners kind of shut down, and so we have been doing telemedicine and teletraining for, for quite many years, and we said, you know what, this is really something that's going to be needed during COVID, so we created um, an educational platform called Canast Sports Medicine, and uh, it, it just exploded with, with uh, COVID, unfortunately. Uh, people had to stay at home, but we all learned real quick we could not have to travel and get on our phones or webinars and things and still get the same communication, training, and education that we needed. So um, so the platform is all about things like this, you know, things that we can do to educate owners, to, uh, trainers, veterinarians, all in the areas of, you know, performance, uh, wellness, um, injury, injury prevention, um, you know, orthopedic injuries, um, you name it. And so uh, so we're really, really honored to be here. So I'm going to stop talking and let the more important <laughs> app uh, you uh Give you her, uh, her I'm, I'm just the other Kanat. Typically, I'm like the Oz behind the curtain, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I, um, I supported him through all the, uh, the letters after his names and all the. Uh, well, that was a lot of support. And, that took a while to get all those letters. <laughs> oh yes, oh yes, and then uh, shortly after um, they started off the uh, sports medicine and rehab college. Um, I was the first set of uh, um, kind of like, you know, I'll call it like, you know, uh, veterinarians that took the exam and passed the exam. So I've been um, boarded in sports medicine just a year after Sherman's been. So we've been kind of doubly boarded in that area. Um, and so my um, area of specialty within that college um, started off in rehab. So I uh, had the rehab section of our hospital, um, but I also found a love in musculoskeletal ultrasound. And so I kind of took that and ran and uh, kind of have been mapping out the, the areas of the canine um, that get typical injuries with sport and then um, looking at musculoskeletal ultrasound to be able to diagnose and kind of monitor treatment in them. So kind of pioneered that area and uh, just kind of my love at this point. Gotcha. So you two are definitely qualified to speak on what we're talking about, but I mean, ultimately to sum all that up, you guys specialize in sports medicine for dogs, right? And, and so do you primarily only deal with like agility dogs or, or do you deal with hunting dogs? Like, do you have a, a experience with hunting dogs or working dogs of some sort? Yeah, we, we do all of them, yeah. um, all the sports. Uh, we, um, yeah, and even the dogs that have a sport of chasing squirrels in the backyard. So, <laughs> <laughs> so all of it from, from your pet dog all the way to your sports dog. Uh, so I guess there's really, let's just start with the most common joint issues that you see. 
Like what, what are the most common ones? Is it a mixture of ACLs or is it hips still shoulders? You know, is there one that really kind of overshadows the rest as far as commonality when it comes into your practice? Yeah, no, we can definitely uh, tackle, tackle all sorts of injuries. You know, 90% of what we see is working in sporting dogs and uh, from around the country or other countries. And, uh, we definitely can say if your dog does say field trial, this is what we typically see as far as an injury in the front legs or in the hind legs. If it's lure coursing or, you know, fly ball or agility, there's, there's you know, just think if you think about our sports, you know, if you're a, a baseball pitcher, you know, your rotator cuff over time. If you're a soccer player, ACL, you know, you're, a, you're, a, you know, every sport has its own types of uh, specific areas that get injured or have repetitive activity type yeah. of and that's the same thing we've learned now over the years with dogs that do IPO or, or working dog versus hunting dogs versus, you know, other types of show dogs. Um, and so if we look at the forelimb, um, let's talk about primarily hunting dogs um, because, again, we see a tremendous amount of, of hunting dogs from around the, from around the uh, country. Um, front leg issues are going to be probably the rotator cuff, you know, it's because they're, they're high drive, you know, they're straight line, um, they're reaching forward, and so... We'll talk about which particular tendons and muscles, but the actual most common injury of the tendon in a dog's shoulder is the same one in people. So if you're throwing a baseball, reaching overhead, um, holding up your gun, doing anything like that, you're, it's called the supraspinatus. It's one of the most common rotator cuff tendons um, in humans to get injured, Well, it just so happens to be in dogs as well. And, uh, and that's because that particular job of the shoulder is to reach forward. So if you can imagine these dogs... Um, on an outrun and going into the blind and they're just reaching and reaching and reaching. They're using that over and over and over again. Um, and that's why that rotator cuff in particular is, is injured. As far as the second for the forelimb, um, unfortunately, it would be elbow arthritis or elbow dysplasia. So a lot of the young field trial dogs, the laps that we're seeing come in, the retrievers as far as Goldens, um, Labrador retrievers, you name it, um, elbow dysplasia unfortunately plagues them. And, uh, and that's probably next to rotator cuffs, um, the most common cause of the front legs. And then, of course, you mentioned it, it's the ACL um, in the hind limb. Um, cuff CCL in dogs, it's the same thing as the ACL in people. And uh, that would be the primary. And then secondary is going to be your groin or your ilius psoas. And you, you've heard of uh, people pulling their groin, football players, hockey players, super common in dogs as well. Um, and so I'd say elbow and shoulder up front and then knee and, and groin and rear is the most common. Would you, would you throw any others I'm missing? I think, I mean, the only other thing that we see a lot in, say, in the retrievers um, are Achilles tendon injuries. Um, some of them are, like, degenerative, where it's just part of their breed and they kind of break down over time. Um, not near as common as the iliopsoas or the cycle, but definitely something that plagues um, the retrievers. So. So you you mentioned the retrievers, the labs, and goldens a, a few times throughout that. Do you see any difference as far as the upland dogs and the pointing dogs, you, your, your pointers and setters and and German shorthairs, yeah. and so the breeds like well, that? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that they they're still kind of represented in the same kind of spread that we just talked about. Yeah, they are, but there's there's ones in particular that we see in in certain pointers that other breeds that like. If you're looking at for spinatus contracture, um, yeah, I guess yeah. I mean, be... genetically, there's certain conditions we'll actually see in certain um, 
pointers that we don't see necessarily in the other in yeah. the other hunting dogs, and yeah, uh, it's, there's just a genetic link to right. it. I would also say for for the pointers, I think there's carpal injuries. I think we see a little bit of an over over representation of hyperextension carpal injuries yeah. just because they. Um, Dobermans are my breed, um, and they're really kind of straight up in their carpus. They don't have a lot of angle to them. Mm -hmm. I think pointers kind of resemble that a little bit too. So they tend to be hard on their carpine. Yeah. Gotcha. So would you say just, just from your guys' experience and, and dealing with this on a daily basis, would you say these issues are typically more genetic cause or lifestyle cause, just the wear and tear over time, or is it really just kind of a genetic flaw within the line or breed that kind of comes to light because of the wear and tear over time? Yeah, I think more repetitive. Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, it's it's just like you and I out there. We're hiking, we're running, we're yeah. doing some activity. We train, and we're doing it over and over and over again. And, and you know, these dogs are athletes, and so uh, so they're they're hitting it just as hard. You know, they do everything eleven out of ten. And uh, but I and, do think there's I think there's room. I think there's still room for education and trying to yeah, minimize that, that. Right? Like I think that. Um, there's some people out there that do, you know, all the stuff and then there's just a freak accident. But I think with, you know, kind of spreading knowledge of warm ups and cool downs and supplements that help support things, I think we can lessen that. Um, you know, like for people, same thing for people, athletes, you know, there's not an athlete that's, it's very rare to find an athlete that does nothing to help support themselves for their sport. Um, and I think for sometimes we forget about that and we just think that they're superhuman uh, or super dog. And, uh, you know, and, and because they just don't say no until they're broken. Uh, so I think it's something where we got to step back a little bit and just kind of go, hey, they might need a little help and support too. So. Absolutely. And, and I definitely, we are definitely going to touch on, on that. Your your warm up, cool down, and, and your conditioning overall, right, is really what we're talking about. Uh, I'm going to get to that in a second, but I, I, I want to backtrack before we kind of get into, into the activity advice. I want to talk about, you know, if – when we're as dog owners, we're researching our next puppy, researching the kennels, the line. Is there anything that you guys suggest that we do besides just looking at the typical hip test results that most of the breeders kind of make make public to on their litter announcement? Is there is there something that we can look for genetically, or is it kind of we just have to take the hip hip test results and and the breeder's word for it? I would also throw in their elbows. Yeah, I mean, definitely. without a doubt, elbow dysplasia. Boy, hips, we can, you know, hips, you know, hip arthritis. Dogs can still, 80% of dogs with hip dysplasia or hip arthritis do phenomenally well with just medical management, periodic rehab, supplements, you know, keeping their exercise, strengthening, conditioning. Um, and, and then if it, that fails, you have total hip replacement. The elbow and the retrievers, boy, when they're born with elbow dysplasia, um, that is something that's going to just plague them their entire life, and there isn't really the ability to replace that joint. Um, and so it is a true challenge. So I would say to anybody listening to this, and you're talking about retrievers, which is one of the most common breeds we see with elbow issues, um, absolutely um, look at the track record. Um, just like they can get their hips OFA'd, they can do the same, of course, with elbows. And uh, and that would be something definitely to look at the line and make sure that no one's thrown an elbow um, genetically in the, in the, you know, in, in that particular line. Gotcha. So again, before we jump into the field and the conditioning side of things, uh, you know, I, 
I think a lot of this stuff really stems from just your everyday activities out, you know, like inside the house, not even so much the field and stuff. Can you speak to the importance of being mindful and cautious of your everyday activities? You know, are there certain things that you should probably steer away from, you know, such as jumping activities from bed to floor, tailgate to ground? You know, how prevalent and important is it to, to really pay attention to that on a daily basis to where you're not even out in the field getting that wear and tear from the sports side of things. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. We often will have our owners and kind of like explain to them that their dog jumping from the tailgate to the ground is, you know, actually even harder, but have them jump from the tailgate to the ground and then back up and then down and and most people can't do that. (laughs) And they're bigger than their dogs. Um, And so kind of helps them to realize what kind of impact that their dogs are really having on their joints and stuff like that. And so it's very true. I mean, dogs running the fence line in the yard or, you know, chasing after squirrels or, you know, waking up in the morning and you let them out and to the back 40 and they just take off without even warming up. So it's something that a lot of people will not kind of see the importance of making sure you're mindful at home also. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy that I would say the majority of true injury. Yeah. We're not talking repetitive activity, you know, like so we from a football, but we're talking, uh, the actual true injury is usually not them in the field working. Um, it's, it's silly things in the house or in the backyard. You know, the think of people have hardwood floor or tile in their house and dogs running around the kitchen just splays out. And all of a sudden it, you know, it, it pulls this groin muscle or it slips and all of a sudden towards ACL. And so, uh, so it's silly how many cases we see that, uh, you know, they didn't do it in the field. Everyone's really, really good about, you know, the awareness of their dog and, and working and in the field. But when you look at how many feet that were not in the field, it's actually, uh, it's, it's unbelievable how common that is. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's kind of the same way with us, you know, you can go work out, do the sports and, and it's, it's usually not that activity that, that does us in. It's a, it's the dumb stuff that we do in the side, you know, it just, you, yep. you're not used to that motion or something. And, all right, Deborah. You know you've mentioned a few times the warm up. What are we talking about warming up the dog? Like, you know, are we are we doing dog yoga, stretching it out? Like, what 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 do you mean by warm up, and what's the proper process for this? So warm up should really consist of active warm up. Um, you never want to take your dog or even yourself for that instance um, and just stretch yourself out because you can actually cause more damage than good. Um, so typically what we do for dogs is just kind of trot them around for about five or 10 minutes just to kind of warm up, just like what we would do if we we're getting ready to do a run or something like that. Um, and then we do active stretches like uh, one thing we call it is cookies to the hip where you kind of have them bend in half, you know, so their nose is touching their, their tush area. Um, and then like sit to stand, stand to sit, and then down. So just really kind of uh, active stretches that we're asking the dog to do to their level of comfort, uh, putting their paws up on something to kind of stretch out their back, um, things like that. But we never want to do what we would call a stretching session, which is more of the cool down. Because um, again, if you stretch those muscles before they're truly warmed up, you can cause micro tears and more damage and actually decrease your performance um, than if you just did a kind of active warm up. So, so it kind of sounds similar to like if you go to uh, a, a horse barn or horse stall before they get the horses saddle up and go run and they put them in the round pen and, and kind of jog them around yeah. a little bit before saddling up and, and taking off, right? 
Exactly. And then typically, like, it pertains to each sport, right? So you want to kind of do that warm-up trotting around and then do some of the active stretches. And then typically we would have them do maybe like a little bit of a short retrieve or something like that um, that kind of mimics what's going to happen, but in a much smaller and shorter form, just to kind of, again, give that little bit of a um, kind of sport-specific warm-up to it. Gotcha. So, so that's the warm up, and then you you said the cool down is more the the, the stretching. Like, I mean, how, how long are we talking about for the cool down? Because you know, typically for the hunting dogs, we go out, we yeah. hunt, and then we come back and we do our tailgate check, uh, make sure the stuff is out of the eyes, make sure the you know seeds and and yeah. birds are out of the fur, check their feet, check their pads, check all that stuff. Where does the cool down come in? to play and do you just do it right before you put them in the kennel or do you do do it before the tailgate check? Yeah. So, I mean, optimally it would be before you put them in the kennel, right? So if you can, you know, you're kind of, you know, kind of cooling down, coming back, you know, just not, you're not running straight out anymore. Um, and then, Typically, we like to lay them down and kind of do range of motion. So you're just basically taking each limb through a couple, um, say maybe you know five or six ranges of motion and holding them at their kind of flexion to kind of stretch and then extension to try to stretch. But sometimes you can't do that. So like a lot of our police officers, right, their dogs are running after bad guys and then they got to get back in the squad car. There's no cool down for a police dog <laughs> um, while they're working, but you can if you had to put them up into the kennel and then drive home, you could do a cool down at home, meaning that you take them out, you just trot them around a little bit to warm them up a little bit um, and then lay them down and do your stretches. So it's not absolutely necessary to do it right after it's the best time because otherwise they're going to be a little stiff getting out of that kennel. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can still kind of uh, use its, you know, its benefits if you have to do it at home too, before, you know, the nighttime or before they go to bed. Gotcha. Is there really any any benefit or preference to like say massage? You know, they're they're dogs. We like to pet our dogs or something. Is there a way to like say you you rush through it? You don't have time for a cool down. Is it to something to where you just pull out and you can kind of just get the knots out of them and, and rub them down before going again? Like, is that advisable or is there a time and a place for that as well? Yeah, absolutely. So there's actually a new unit um, on the market. It's something called the Paw Wave, which is it mimics the um, human kind of uh, massage guns, right? Where they are used to with vibration or with um, kind of compression to mimic different massage techniques. And this thing is awesome in the sense of vibration. There's a ton of research out there showing the benefits of recovery to muscles and helping to increase circulation and heal and stuff like that. Um, And so that's an awesome unit that if there isn't a lot of time to do stretching and stuff like that, that still is extremely beneficial. So, I mean, massage, be it human or dog, um, has the same beneficial qualities um, all around. Yeah, and you can use that. Yeah, you know, if you think about it, like the the massage guns, like in people, you're trying. The whole idea with uh, the the warm ups in particular is trying to get blood supply there. You're trying to get things warmed up, moving blood supply. So in addition to just doing your trotting, you know, your active stretching, um, you know, you can take this massage device and you can put that over. You know, the the biggest areas for the, for the working dogs, hunting dogs is 
going to be their shoulders, it's going to be their back, it's going to be around their hip areas, um, quads, hamstrings. So you can just go ahead and do some trotting, bring this gun over. Um, or I know. Gun. I was like, it's not really a gun. Really gun. It's a We'll call it a massage device. We'll basically <laughs> just run that over those particular areas that we want warmed up. And, um, you know, and then uh, you, you go ahead to working, you know, an hour later, you know, you're going to do your cool down do those stretches and then just go ahead and take the, the massage device again over the, especially over those particular areas, you know, it's, um, and it's amazing the feedback. These, these dogs are actually, uh, it's amazing. you know, I, I thought at first the vibration, they'd be freaked out by it. They don't. And once you've used it on them, they're like looking at you like, okay, don't stop. And, uh, <laughs> and you don't oh, have, you know, you don't have time for a 90 minute massage once you get done working your dog for who's in the kennel. So, uh, just hit the problem areas, you know, just hit the areas that we're trying to maintain, which for, for hunting dogs, can be shoulders, you know, lower back, hips, that sort of area. Yeah. So that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Just like us warm up, do the activity, cool down, you know, do a little massage, keep that soreness down, uh, onto the conditioning, the actual activity, whether it's the hunting or just actual conditioning and working out to get ready for the hunting season. You know, I, I've been doing this podcast for, I mean, it's right at two years now and, and I've kind of been surprised at some of the questions that I get from listeners and how often this comes up is how to properly condition their dogs and to know if they're going too hard or not hard enough. Right. And so I guess let's, let's start with the type of conditioning, you know, can you name off the pros and cons of different types of conditioning as far as, you know, running or swimming, or, uh, if you are going to run is, does it, does it matter whether it's on pavement, concrete, grass, or even the treadmill, like you see a lot of people doing with these dogs, you know, what, what's your take on each one of these types of conditioning? Um, I, I mean, I think the take-home message is cross-training. I think it's been proven in people, and it definitely should be proven in dogs. Um, you know, I don't think there's one area that's terribly bad, but if you only do that, so if they only ran on the treadmill, sure, there's actually the gait that they show on a treadmill is really not the gait that they actually do on land sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing, swimming. Uh, a lot of people will just condition their dog to swim in order to condition them on land, and it's not the same gait pattern. So, yeah, swimming is great, especially if you, you know, have that as part of your field trial or hunt test or, or whatever. But if you're just doing that to condition your dog, it, it's not going to fit all the, all the appropriate areas. So, um, I, you know, I think there's, let's say, let's say swimming. It's a really hard workout on shoulders. So, like, if we have a dog and we know they're lame in the front end and we're just all perplexed, if you put them into the pool and swim them and they come out more lame, it's their shoulder. <laughs> it's guaranteed. So it's something that's really intense for dogs. Um, but, again, for it's great for dogs that may have maybe a little bit older and they have a little bit of arthritis going because it's non-weight-bearing exercise. Uh, so that definitely has its pros there. Um, I think, you know, running on all different surfaces is very necessary. So, yeah, grass, of course, and the more, you know, giving terrain is the best, but then you're going to have really kind of soft pads. So you need to kind of, you know, get them used to a little bit of a harder terrain in order to be able to withstand the different areas in the, in the field. Um, yeah, the only thing I worry about with treadmills is they don't have the same gait pattern on a treadmill that they do on land. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, but I worry about that as a as, yeah. a, as a repetitive because yeah. again, they're going to use their limbs mm-hmm. in a different fashion, which is going to not only have an issue as far as repetitive activity, but it's it's going to potentially 
cause issues that they don't usually see when they're on land. So that's the only thing I worry about. I know a lot of guys are, are using land treadmills, but uh, and you also have to make sure the treadmill you're using has a long enough deck. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the treadmills are cheaper for the stride length, and then what will happen is the stride won't be the stride that the dog actually needs, so they're actually short striding, which also isn't going to mimic what they do out in the, in the field uh, and can cause some issues as well. So if you're going to use a, a land treadmill, um, definitely make sure it's one that's got a long enough deck. But, it, I mean, it is a good tool in the wintertime. I mean, you yeah. know, some places where people, you know, have their, you know, field trail or hunt dogs, you know, is the, ba- the weather's bad, like snow. And I'd rather them work out on a treadmill than slide around on the ice and hurt themselves. So right. um, I think there's a place for it, right? But it's got to be part of a cross-training program and can't just be the only way that they exercise in the winter. And so I, I, w- I want to elaborate on the running because you you guys covered the different types of terrain, but more importantly, the gait on the treadmill. I want to take that frame of thought and apply it to, you know, in the sporting dog world, there's a lot of people that rode their dogs. And so yeah. I want to know the speed at which these dogs should be getting exercised. Is there is there a golden rule? Because I've heard that you don't want to – jog your dogs for long distances at slow speeds because it's not their normal gait and they get hurt more often but then i've heard that you don't want to only sprint and then you have some people that have the roading harnesses whether it's to an atv or utv or even a bike to where it kind of gives the dog a little bit of resistance while they're running too uh what are your thoughts on all all of this is is there a down downside to to these as a whole or is it like what you said just kind of moderation and switch it around to all of it yeah i mean i think the cardinal rule is you're not going to get yourself in trouble if you cross train and do a little bit of each but different so different kind of comments in each so the harnesses that kind of allow them to pull and have a little resistance really important to get the proper harness um, there are so many harnesses out there that go straight across the point of the shoulder in the dog, um, and that will destroy them. Like, I mean, we see it time and time again, just an improperly fit harness or the improper harness to use for pulling. Um, so that's very important. But, I mean, trotting, I mean, there's all the different breeds. Like, for Border Collies, trotting is the gate of choice, right? Um, but for other breeds, it's, you know, ambling is better. Um, and so I think that if you use that kind of cross-training mentality, um, I think that is the much better approach because, again, sprinting or constantly running is, you know, not going to engage the muscles the way a trot or a slow walk does. So I think it's important. I also got to think, I think you got to look at the sport that they're doing. I mean, if you look at, you know, dogs that have short explosive runs, um, then you you and I would do what's called hits or high-intensity training. And, uh, you know, pick up the pace, you slow it down. You pick up the pace, you slow it down. Well, that's going to be great if we're doing things where we're explosive, you know, and we're running for a short distance and that and that's it. Um, if we are doing, you know, if this was dogs running that I did a ride, then you do want long, long endurance sustain. They sure aren't doing hit runs. Um, so so I think you got to look at the particular sport that your dog's doing and then try to mimic, do we need explosive episodes? Do we need long endurance episodes? And uh and then that's also what they should be training in. Um, and so, but again, different surfaces, um, different types. And I, Deb was mentioning also in the winter how treadmill can be good. There's a lot of um, 
centers now around the country that also have indoor underwater treadmills or even indoor pools for dogs. And so in the winter months, if you're up in Wisconsin or Montana or any of the areas where, okay, you're not really going outside and doing a whole lot with your dog because you got four feet of snow, um, then I think what you can, you can look at is finding a location. Uh, there's conditioning locations and there's uh, rehabilitation centers for dogs that will allow you, even if your dog doesn't have an injury, to come in and do sessions where they're getting in an underwater treadmill or in a pool. And the incredible thing about underwater treadmills is that the studies have shown that one minute in an underwater treadmill equals 15 minutes on a land treadmill. So if you think about the resistance of water, it's a lot. So if you and I got into a treadmill, we try to run against the resistance of water, we're not going to last very long compared to if we're just on a, you know, a land treadmill. Um, so it's a great conditioning tool. It's a great way to keep them, uh, their muscle mass up and also still be able to work them um, in the off season. So looking for, uh, looking for places that have underwater treadmills or the, the pools that have the jets that you can swim against for conditioning, those are just another way to try to keep your dog in condition, especially in the off season. Yeah, that, that that would be awesome if you actually had access to something like that in your area and, and you had had the capability to do that on a regular basis. Uh, to, to continue this topic, I, I think I know the answer to, to this, but it's been, like I said, it comes up a lot. I get this asked a lot, and I think it just boils down to really knowing your dog and the conditioning level that it's in, but how often – should we be doing the conditioning and how intense should we be doing the conditioning? And I think it's kind of like us. It kind of depends on the dog and the condition level that it's in. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I also think um, that every, it, it does not matter on the sport. If you say, Oh, well, maybe we should try it one more time. Don't <laughs> <laughs> like because every dog that's driven and is good at their sport will do it again and again and again until you say you're done. And so we have to be a little bit smarter um, and kind of just stop that one time before um, to stop those, you know, injuries. The dogs are same as humans. When you get tired, your form goes, um, you know, down the, down the shooter and, and you're not performing the way you should. Um, and that's where humans and dogs get hurt. Uh, yeah, there's a, yeah, there's a ton of data out in human athletes on the stress of sport and the stress of training. And uh, it not only has an effect on muscle tendon and joint, it has an a effect on their GI tract, it has an effect on their immune system, has a, an effect on them psychologically. And so there's so much more stress that we don't even think about in dogs, you know, traveling from one location to the other, the different temperatures that they're going from in and out of the kennel in the truck, um, in the hauler, back out to the field, um, in the water. Um, there are so many stressors that we don't even take into consideration. And on the human side, they, they sometimes they forget about it as well. Um, and so and we'll talk about supplements here in a while, but I mean, things that you can do to support the body are going to be huge, but we definitely, as, as people, we can overtrain and dogs, we see it as well. And the, the thing is these dogs are smart. You know, these dogs, the handlers that we've seen work with these dogs and the trainers, I mean, it's unbelievable what these dogs can do. Um, and that means that we don't have to have them do that same run, you know, 200,000 times. They know it. They got it. Um, that's just asking for repetitive activity types of conditions and injuries. Um, so I think, you know, having days off, just like you do in human athletics, um, I think that's important as well. Um, again, you're not going to, they're not going to gain weight, lose muscle mass and, and lose memory function. Um, from having a day off, um, you know, within the training regimen. But I think just like we could overtrain, dogs can as well. Gotcha. So, you know, you, you guys 
make a very good point, and we all know this as dog owners. These dogs, they love doing this. If you ask them to do it one more time, they're going to do it 10 more times. <laughs> and yeah. so yeah. <laughs> what are we looking for in there? Because, you know, it's – it's kind of like your dog's not always going to show you that they're injured, right? You know, it's going to be a small cue here and there, you know, or maybe, you know, hopefully not. It's just a blowout and it's very obvious. But, like, are there some tricks to, like, really being able to pay attention to certain things within your dog to pick up on some maybe a nagging injury that's starting to develop? And, you know, how do we get out in front of these injuries and the wear and tear that's coming without spending a fortune at the vet doing, you know, unnecessary checks or scans or so on, on a regular basis. Yeah. The, the first thing is, uh, and I, I, I lecture on this to vets every single time I have an opportunity into dogs in the sporting and working world, get videos of your dog. Okay. So what I want you to do is I want you to get your iPhone or Samsung or whatever you're using, get your dog outside. And I want to see your dog walking. I want to see your dog trotting. I want to see circles, lunges. I want to see it coming at you left, right, from the front, from the back. And I want you to store those videos. Okay. And then of course, when your dog's working, you know, get some videos of that as well, but store those videos. And then what you'll do is down the road, you're like, I think he's short striding in the right front. I swear. I think he's you know doing something different bring up the old video and you'll look and you're like, yeah, he's not reaching. Um, so you have something to compare to because you see your dog every day. So you won't necessarily notice that there's a change over time. Um, so I think having that video is massively important. It's also going to be helpful when you go to see your, your sports med vet because you'll be like, here's what I'm seeing. And maybe like lots of times they're not seeing, you know, these dogs aren't always lame. You know, most of the time I'd say the majority of the working dogs I see they're not coming in with a head bottom lameness holding up the leg. They're having a performance related issue. They're not driving. They're not, you know, they're, they're truly, their time's down, their, their functions down um, as far as their sport. And that's what people are coming in with. And they'll say, listen, I don't see a lameness. And the vet will look at your dog and say, your dog looks fine. I think you're, you know, what are you, what are you talking about? They don't, you know, unfortunately, vets don't necessarily understand working performance dogs and sporting dogs and, and really subtle, subtle things like you mentioned. And the first thing is usually a difference in stride length. And uh, so if you have that video to compare to, um, that is going to be massively um, important over time. I think, and on that point, I think it's important to, like, first give the dog the benefit of the doubt. So if their times are off or they're just, you know, not performing part of the test the way that they normally do, kind of, you know, just take a step back and say, hey, you know, this is a good dog. Like, maybe he's not trying to, you know, mess up and maybe there's a reason why he's compensating in a way to have a slower time or to kind of miss the mark. Um, and then just kind of going back to like what Sherman said, looking at videos or just trying to look at little nuances. Um, the other thing for conditioning is looking at your dog if you're, you know, they're just to the point where they're just kind of over, you know, overdoing it. Usually if they're, you know, panting and you look at their tongue, um, it will get very, very, very wide um, towards the end of it, right? So dogs will pant and it should be kind of cylindrical, but if you see that really wide base at the end of the tongue, um, that's pretty much they're at their peak. You know, that's they're okay. having a hard time covering, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's, hard to, it's not hard to talk about, right? But, um, but yeah, it's just a, if you watch them and it's really hot or they're just conditioned so much, it'll just get really wide towards the end of the tongue. Yeah, the other thing I want you to do is feel your dog. You know, just go ahead and, and learn what's normal for your dog because most of the injuries we're seeing 
they're one side, right? It's going to be like you and I, right hand or left hand, so we're throwing that ball over and over again with that one side. So we're going to have changes over time in one leg versus the other. So what I, what I want everybody listening to this to do is just get down. You know, I usually do it standing. I want the dog to stand so I can just be over top or from the side and feel left versus right. So feel the shoulders. Do you feel like the muscle mass is equal? Do you feel the hip muscle mass is equal? Do you feel, you know, run your hands down the front legs, down the back legs, and just kind of you can feel the difference left versus right. Are the knees one sticker than the other? Um, we have some videos. Um, they're on YouTube, I think. They're on the Canaf Sports Medicine channel that actually work walk owners through a home assessment. So it, it actually shows them how to do range of motion, how to do stretches, how to feel things on their own dog. Um, so they can use that as a guide if you if you like. We did it actually uh, with our dog just as a as the demo. But I think feeling their dog. So in addition to those baseline videos, just baseline palpation, we'll call it. So they know, you know what, the shoulder used to stretch this far, now it won't. And look, the other side goes further. Those are very, very subtle things, but important things. There's some really good tips right there. I, I I really like that, especially the the video and and also being able to just kind of just uh, a parameter to look for with the with the dog's tongue, kind of knowing when like all right they're at their peak. Let's let's start bringing it back down. Let's let's wrap this up. Uh, but you know you can do all this. You can do the warm up. You can do the cool down. At some some point, there's going to be a dog that unfortunately gets injured. And one thing that I was I, I caught when I was kind of checking out your social media and your website and everything, y'all brought up a couple times uh, the term prehab. And there's a difference between prehab and rehab. And I thought that was pretty interesting take on that. Can you kind of explain the difference and the importance of doing having prehab? Uh, before you go in for surgery or a correction of some sort? Yeah, I mean, we use it as, um, you know, just as a tool to kind of bring the dog's muscle mass or to kind of protect the muscle mass while they're waiting for surgery. Um, And we kind of adjust it to their tolerance, right? So um, if we can use modalities to make them a bit more comfortable um, and then kind of use the treadmill maybe or the underwater treadmill to help maintain their muscle while we're waiting for surgery, then that's great. Some some dogs it's, you know, hard to do, right? Because they're just so uncomfortable um, that they're overloading the other side and you don't want to add any type of activity to them because they're just going to just keep overloading the opposite side and then you're looking at a bilateral injury which Mm -hmm. doesn't work very well Um, so yeah it just uh, hips are one of the biggest things Um, we have so many dogs that need total hip replacements and we put them into their prehab program um, and then they never need a total hip because they do really great with just a little bit of support Um, so that's one of the the great kind of um, we put like say you know we have 50 on the list and maybe like a quarter of them don't ever need a hip because they just really do well with just that kind of maintenance and, and kind of applying uh, some muscle mass and uh, maintenance to them. Okay. So you, there's a couple things on that. The overcompensation, I, I do want to touch on that is when people say all the time that like, okay, the dog blows out a wheelie, blows out an ACL. Uh, they say that that dog is genetically predisposed to tearing the other ACL is there nope. is there any truth yeah. to that, or is it just from overcompensation? You got there's, it. There's, there's no, no genetics. <laughs> they have yet to find a genetic link to ACL. I mean, it's just it's so, it's the most common injury in dogs. Period. Worldwide. I don't care if you're a Maltese or you're a Great Dane. I mean, it's just uh, it, it happens. It's just like it happens in people. And the, the thing is, 
with the compensation is that, you know, when they injure that knee, they're not put, putting full weight on that leg. Okay, so what they're doing then is they're putting loading the opposite leg. So that ACL on the other leg says, whoa, I wasn't supposed to carry this much. Um, and it's it's starting to actually show inflammation. We uh, we did a study many, many years ago. It was published in, in a journal called VCOT. And what we were looking at was the use of hyaluronic acid in dogs or HA. But at the end of the day, we were looking at the ACL model. And what we found, this is kind of crazy, but we are looking at fluid the fluid in the knee, basically, of the injured knee, but then we're looking at the fluid in the non-injured knee, the opposite knee. What we found was immediately after injury, when they came in, they actually had inflammation already in the normal knee and the viscosity. Think about, you know, joint fluid should be like, you know, motor oil. And uh, all of a sudden, that's getting watery. So in the good knee. So we know that as soon as they injure that first knee, the opposite one's already having detrimental effects just from loading. So now imagine this, you're not restricting your dog because, you know, your dog's your dog and he wants to do everything 11 out of 10. So he's already loading that other leg, but now he's being too active. You, that, and that's just so increases and predisposes them. We, we definitely know statistically well over 50% of dogs when one knee goes, the other one will go. It's just a matter of how soon. Right. You know, it's just well, how we, soon. We also did a study at VOSM because our um, percentage of dogs rupturing the contralateral ACL um, is yeah, extremely, right. Is very low, right? And so my question was, well, what are we doing right? Um, and it's, it all has to do with rehab. So typically, you know, some, a lot of people will have their dog CCL fixed um, and their rehab is keeping the dog on a leash for four to six weeks. And then after the bones healed, um, if that's one of the techniques they use, they just let them go, and they don't even look at muscle mass. And so we looked at, um, I think, over a 1,000 dogs that we did TPLOs on um, in our practice, and we found that the dogs that were enrolled in rehab actually had a less than 5% of rupturing the, up con the other leg, um, CCL. And so what we looked at, I thought it was modality-based, right, because we use a lot of um, photobiomodulation or laser treatments, um, you know, exercises, things like that. I thought it was our modalities that was healing them well and maintaining them well, but it really wasn't. It was actually that we have a rule and we will not release them to full activity until they're within a centimeter of muscle mass equal on both hind limbs, right? So they have to be 11 and 12 or 11 and 11, but they have to have the same muscle mass before we actually release them. So if their bone is healed at eight weeks, but their muscle mass has a three centimeter difference, they, get, they do not get released to full activity until we can get them within that centimeter. And that was the key of why we had such a low rate of rupturing the contralateral side. Um, so really interesting that, uh, that we could figure that out. So genetics, no, not at all. It's really just more of, you know, getting your dog back the proper way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so uh, out of curiosity, you mentioned that you do full hip replacements on, on these dogs. I'm curious... If you have to go that's that that severe of surgery on a dog, is that pretty much game over for any activity as far as hunting, sports related, or do these crazy dogs actually rebound from that as well? Yeah, they can. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a bit of a recovery. You know, they're they're a good three to four months with everything healing, then they go back into you know conditioning and strengthening, and then they're back out. But they absolutely can uh, can go back to sport. I mean, same with ACL rotator cuffs. 
you know, if, if the surgery's done, you know, correctly and by somebody that does a ton of them and the rehab afterwards appropriate, um, there's really very few injuries or conditions that I can think of where we ever say to the owner, your dog's not competing or, or you know, working ever again. It's, it's pretty uncommon. We, um, we leave it up to the dogs. I mean, you know, every, every dog that comes in, no matter what their injury is, we always have that thought that they'll go back to their sport or to whatever they love. Um, and if you do it gradually and kind of ask them and kind of touch base with them, um, you'll figure out if they can go fully back or if there's, you know, a preferred way to go back, meaning like, you know, in say agility, like the height difference is just a little bit lower because they can't just do that height anymore. Um, but, you know, or a shorter test or um, things like that. But we always, for 99% of the dogs, always say that they have every opportunity to go back, but we just have to kind of stay in touch with them and just see what they can do. Yeah, I'll have owners with hunting dogs that come in and we do one ACL and they're like, that's it, I'm retiring the dog because um, they're worried about the other knee. And uh, and I, I'm like, you know what, your dog has a better chance of blowing out the other knee just running around doing zoomies in the backyard, um, being crazy monkey than it's going to have just, you know, going straight line out and, and working. And uh, and so so there is no reason after an ACL in particular um, that these dogs cannot, you know, get back to support. Absolutely. That's amazing. So I know there's somebody out there listening to this and, and they're, they're thinking the question. I'm just going to go ahead and ask it. I, I know the answer, but slowing dogs down, you know, these dogs <laughs> like to go, they like to go, 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 go. So what is, I mean, as it, it falls on us as the dog owners and the handlers to slow the dogs down or conversely, do you find that a lot of dogs, when they're kind of inhibited by an injury, do they kind of slow themselves down? Yeah, they, they, they don't slow themselves down. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, no, no, they don't. <laughs> um, so it's kind of flip side. Like a lot of people will say, well, we shouldn't give our dogs pain meds, so that way they'll slow themselves down. No, nope, they're still just going to kind of run right through it. <laughs> So the smarter group and put them on pain meds and then just keep them on a leash. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, we, it's, it's just like kids. My kids would love to have ice cream morning, noon, at night, but you know what? I have to kind of step in and be like, oh, probably not the best choice. <laughs> and it's the same with our dog. Um, yeah. You know, we, as, as people, like if we're recovering from an injury, you know, we can kind of use our, our brain set and realize that, oh, that, that's a little, hurts a little too much. Maybe I shouldn't do that. But once a squirrel comes into the play, <laughs> that's all forgotten. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we uh, definitely have to kind of, you know, just, just for the appropriate amount of time, but kind of, you know, slow them down. Makes sense. So slowing the dogs down, the kennels, the orthopedic pads, the orthopedic beds, what, what do you guys find that is the most beneficial to these dogs on a daily basis that provides some kind of relief for these dogs, whether it's while traveling in the house, inside the kennel, you know, is there something that you recommend some, some type of bed or one specific brand of some sort? There's a, there's a bed that, um, it's interesting. I didn't know anything about this and the company reached out to us, but there's a, it's called the under underdog. It's called underdog. Um, if you Google it and, uh, basically it's, it's, it's based on human beds. So if you think of you're in a hospital and you're, you're hospitalized in bed for a bit of time, you have, you could get pressure sores, you could, they call them decubital ulcers. It's, it's pretty bad like diabetics. And, uh, so they have this bed that's based on six degrees of freedom. So in other words, it's like these little nubbins that kind of go in different directions, um, you know, six degrees of different directions. It was all based off of human beds. Um, so it's called the underdog bed. So I, I, they definitely, 
Um, I think from an orthopedic standpoint or, or, you know, just comfort standpoint, dogs seem to like them. And uh, so it's just one thing to, to look at. I think that, I think the massage device, you know, using that on your dog, not even for injury, just, just the overall maintenance of your, of your dog's body, I, I think is huge. And then the biggest thing is, you know, is the supplements. I mean, there's some, there's definitely some data out there that shows, um, and, and Deb, you know, she'll probably jump into this way more than I do. Um, I, I published a, paper or two on it, but um, peer-reviewed, but the reality is that now there's enough evidence for certain supplements out there that show, you know, from the standpoint of maintaining muscle, having muscle come back, um, joint health, stress of the body, GI stress, psychological stress. Um, there are definitely studies in dogs that are showing that uh, these supplements work. So, you know, yeah, the dog bed is important. Yeah, the massage device, I think, would be important. Um, but these supplements, if you're going to spend your money, there's some good ones out there. So let's keep on going to supplements. Before we touch on the types, I want to get you guys' opinion because it seems like every day there's another supplement company popping up and I don't know what the heck is real. That looks cheap. That looks legit. What What is the certification or best advice you can give us on figuring out something that is actually you know, beneficial to give our dogs or the other one is just, you're just creating really expensive urine. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, the, the thing I present to my owners and my vets are basically you want to look for the research on the product specifically, right? So the research is all about, you know, does it work in the dog? Does it work in the joint? Um, if that's what we're looking at, um, and it doesn't show results. And if you look at the good products out there, the reputable products out there, they have that data on their product. Um, so the buyer beware is the products that have absolutely no data. You can contact the company and they're like, uh, no, we don't have anything. Um, and then they're the ones that try to kind of pull like pull one on you, which is they say, sure, here's data, but it's not on their product. <laughs> it's just an in- a general category. Um, and those are kind of the, the ones that really get me. But um, the research behind it, um, you know, there's the categories of glucosamine conjoint and sulfate, um, which is kind of like your standard uh, joint supplement, um, the omega-3s. The, uh, the research is just extraordinary on these products and there's dog specific research with dog specific products and that's what we really need to look out for so so you mentioned your basic supplements probably the ones that people are most familiar with in joints is probably like glucosamine or something like that what what, what are the Mm -hmm. staples as far as like glucosamine for joints or what what are the staples that you need to hit and is there kind of like us is there a multivitamin vitamin option out there that you would recommend that just kind of takes care of all of it for you so there isn't a multi one um (laughs) and if there is it's probably not a good product um (laughs) but i can tell you what my dog's on but i'm a little crazy but uh (laughs) so i i think the basis um that i would start my so we also are very big advocators of any dog that does a sport or working that they start on these supplements at one year of age. Um, Sherman did a study while he was in vet school, um, which basically showed that having these supplements on board prior to an injury, and specifically looking at the glucosamine conjoint sulfate product, if it's on board prior to an injury, their recovery is quicker. Um, so they can actually come back from the, reco- from the injury um, in a faster manner. Um, and so 
it's important that if your dog is doing, again, above and beyond, but it could be for a companion dog that just loves to chase squirrels, um, we recommend starting at a year of age. And so like the base products that I recommend um, are the glucosamine conjoined sulfate product, but I really like, it's something called uh, Dazaquin, which is made from Nutramax. Um, Nutramax is a company that we have known for a very long time, um, and their data on their products is just above and beyond. Um, just a wonderful company, really dedicated to dogs, um, and uh, really good research behind their products. But so Dazaquin is your kind of glucosamine conjoined sulfate kind of base product, but what they added in there was ASU, which is an avocado soybean unsaponifiable. I practice really hard to say that. <laughs> and um, so uh, there's a lot of research at ASU, and it's about the synergy of these products working together. And then in addition, um, there's something called Dazaquin Advanced, which has um, uh, Boswellia, it has curcumin, which is like turmeric, which is an anti-inflammatory, and I think it's alpha lipoic acid. Um, but all of these, again, all work to provide the best environment in the joint to help prevent injury and help to recover from injury. Um, and then, <laughs> so we have Dazaquin Advanced, but now they actually added in something called NEM, which is a natural um, egg membrane protein, which they have shown to um, decrease inflammation in a quick manner. So my dog has very bad shoulders. And so when I started her, when I moved her from Dazaquin Advance to Dazaquin Advance with NEM, I saw a huge difference um, because she chronically, almost on a daily basis, creates inflammation in her shoulders um, because they're very degenerative. So if you have like a just a normal, like, you know, young, healthy dog, I would have them on Dazaquin Advance. But if you have an older dog that's still doing the sport, I would try that Dazaquin Advance with NEM. Um, but that's kind of my base uh, glucosamine conjointin sulfate product. And then the omega-3s are the next category that everybody knows about, um, again, for joint health. And so I like the Nutramaxes. Um, they made a new one called Wellactin 3TA, um, which actually uh, incorporates some of the um, um, the muscle uh, protein in there also. So there's omega threes, um, but then there, you also have the three TA part of it. Part of it, um, and so those are my base products. That's what I recommend um, for kind of young dogs, um, and then. The third part of that joint supplement is something called 1TDC, um, which is, again, kind of uses a different approach to kind of make that joint um, kind of the healthiest. So those are my three for joints. Um, and then you have your muscle groups, right? So none of those really address muscles at all. Um, no, but there's we just, a supplement we just give them a protein shake, right? <laughs> well, there's something better, which is uh, actually uh, called IO. Um, oh, and it's I'm actually, sorry, you broke up on that. Oh, sure. It's called Myos, um, M-Y-O-S, and it's um, it's called Fortropin, which is the active ingredient, but it's made from um, egg, uh, egg yolks. So it's actually, there's a human product out there called Yolked, which is the same product, but it's for humans. Um, and the athletes out there kind of brave about it because it helps to um, do a couple different things. One, it helps to build muscle mass. Um, it also helps in your geriatric dogs that, you know, are still maybe retired or still kind of working. Um, it helps to maintain mass. So, you know, when you get older, same thing with people, you kind of lose your muscle mass. This helps to stop that from happening. Um, but, uh, like, so what I use it a lot for is for dogs either that they're training or dogs that had an injury and I want them to hold on to whatever muscle mass I have so we don't kind of atrophy while we're trying to recover. Um, and it works absolutely amazing for that.
Yeah, so that's, um, I'm trying to think of the other things that my dog is on. Uh, well, we can talk about but that's probably in a whole nother podcast yeah. about CBD. <laughs> well, I mean, real quick, I mean, wh- while we're on the topic of supplements, touch on CBD, just the thousand foot view. Let's not jump into it because CBD, it's, it's, it's like everything else. There's millions to choose from and it's just like, all right, just touch on it. And what are the benefits of it? So basically, if you um, are listening to this in Maryland, I am not talking about CBD, okay? Because as a veterinarian, I am not allowed to recommend this to a client. <laughs> but, and as somebody that uses this on her dog, because I'm allowed to use it on my own dog, I just can't recommend it. Um, you want to do the same thing. You want to find that company that is reputable. So again, I go back to Nutrimax. They have a product called Chronoquin. Um, and they have, you know, researched that there's so many different forms of CBD. Um, you have to, buyer beware is just overly important on this because there, I can't tell you how many products are out there trying to sell um, the CBD uh, oil and, and hemp oil, which are all different. And you want to look for just the um, CBD part of it. Um, but yeah, so it's just look for the research behind it. Look that the research is in the dog um, and make sure that um, you have efficacy um, in the products that you're, you're buying. Gotcha. So just from a, I, I'm your average person, right? I'm just, I, I just love my dog. I want to take care of my dog. I like to hunt my dog. Uh, you just listed off a entire grocery list at GNC for me. And so <laughs> I, I, I need to, I'm curious, like, I mean, how many pill boxes are we talking about? Is there a way that you, that you've come up with that you can kind of diminish that cost? Like what are some tricks and trades for the average person in the, in the sporting dog world? Yeah, I, I tell I'm going to jump in and because this is, I, you know, the clients sitting there in the exam room with me looking at me going, uh, <laughs> I want to, you know, I want to put my dog on the right thing, but also financially, you know, I can't break break the bank, and uh, and so I'm curious if Deb has the same opinion I did. But if you say gun to my head right now, what's the most important supplements for dog? Um, definitely the the Dasequin product. I think we can say that right, Dasequin. Um, glucosamine chondroitin, ASU. Um, you know, they have some other products in the advance. That is, uh, we talked about a multi, like us taking a one, you know, men's one a day multivitamin, this is kind of that equivalent as far as joint supplements concerned. So that covers that. The omega-3s, um, there is great data on omega-3, um, you know, the fat, the fish oils um, in people and in dogs, and it's one that's not too expensive. And then the myos, I know you touch base on that. So those are the three. I know, but I'm saying in that big grocery bag, <laughs> well, the big grocery bag, those are the three. The only thing you left out is one PDC, so, you know. Well, yeah, one PDC, I forgot about that one. So, um, but it's, it's, you know, if you can afford it, those are the, those are the big ones, but they hit different areas. You know, one hits cardiovascular, skin, coat, one hits joints, one hits muscle. So they all kind of play a different role. Um, so if you can afford it, those are the, the big four um, that you would shoot for if you, if you could. Yeah. And I mean, I think where you kind of weed them out is that, you know, for myos, if you have a dog that is, you know, has a hard time keeping on muscle mass or growing muscle mass or your older dog that's still competing, that's where that product would be important. But your, you know, average dog that's doing great and has really good muscle mass, maybe you don't need that one. Um, You know, if you have a dog that, you know, has, you know, no, you know, predilection for joint problems or seems to be okay, then maybe using, you know, one or two of the joint supplements instead of all three. Um, CBD stuff, that's that's for dogs that have some issues, right? Like it's something that um, if they have some arthritis or had a prior injury, that's where I use that product. 
Um, there's other ones out there that help immune systems. So if you're traveling to a big, um, you know, field trial or, or hunt test, then sometimes there's something called Immuquin, which is helps the stress of traveling. Um, there's other stuff that help, you know, kind of their behavior and the anxiety for traveling called Soloquin. So there's there's different parts that I can kind of add in, um, you know, if needed, depending on the type of dog. So it's um, it's kind of like made for the dog, <laughs> uh, depending on the different um, issues that they may have. But I think the, you know, kind of the joint supplements and the muscle supplement, I think that's kind of the mm-hmm. basis of it all. Gotcha. Gotcha. And I think it's important to note that the word here is supplement, right? It's supplementing the diet. It's, you know, people are horrible about this. They'll go to GNC and spend $200 and then say they don't have enough money for food and they go spend $10 on a horrible meal, right? Like it starts with nutrition. And so I'm (laughs) I'm curious uh, from your point of view, you know, what are the key staples in nutrition or, you know, is is kibble better than wet food is raw better than the other you know what what, just real quick you know we've we've talked about nutrition before on here but i want to get your take on that as far as a strong foundation for these supplements yeah um i mean i'm going to go back to that it really depends on your dog um i you know i don't feed raw because I don't have the time (laughs) to do it properly. Right. And, um, my dog eats a kibble, right. Because she, and she also eats a kibble. That's like one of the worst kibbles out there for her because she has a bad GI tract, (laughs) but it's like, you know, it's not even a specialty diet. I'm like, I want to give you a specialty diet and I can't because she can't tolerate any of them. (laughs) Uh, I want to spend more money on her diet, but I can't. Um, and I think it's just a well-balanced diet and looking at what some dogs, um, out there, can literally eat old Roy and perform wonderfully. Um, and then there's some dogs that need some help. And so my biggest thing for my owners is that, um, you know, you want to keep your dog lean, but there is a state of too lean. They have to have a tiny bit of muscle, uh, a tiny bit of fat on their body to be able to repair themselves. If they are literally so lean that they don't have an ounce of fat, that's when you're, they're going to injure themselves because they don't have that um, ability, that energy to be able to kind of, you know, heal themselves and kind of repair themselves, say, at rest. Um, so that's the big thing is just kind of watching your dog. Yeah, I, I think people always ask me when they come in, is my, you know, my dog's 75 pounds, is that too heavy? And I don't go by the scale. You know, you and I, we both work out. You know, if you looked at us and looked at what we weigh, people would say, oh, my God, you weigh that. You must be overweight. No, we just work out every day. And, uh, and so same with the dog. So what I say is I want you to be able to feel ribs but not see them. So if you're standing over your dog and you're kind of petting them along the chest on each side, you know, you want to see ribs from far away, but you want to be able to feel them. So there, there can be a little pad there over top, but not too much. Um, and then you want to see a tapering waistline, you know. And, and so, uh, you know, if you look at the English labs now, they're a little bit more, you know, they're a little bit more barreled um, shaped as far as a confirmation compared to some of the other um, lab, you know, uh, confirmations that are out there. But in general, you want to be able to feel the ribs, not see them, and have that tapering waistline. That's what we're shooting for. You know, I, I don't care what the scale says. How do they look and how do they feel? Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, that, that really kind of wraps up everything I had written down. I did have just one random thing pop up into my head and whether you want to want to, or can't answer it, you don't have to, uh, do claws, you know, it, a lot of people get 
dew claws removed in the sporting dog world, but you're, there seems to be a growing sentiment that it messes up the joints and, and, and their paws. Can you speak to that? Is there some truth to that? Or is it just kind of getting overblown with people being a little too uh, cautious nowadays? So, I mean, in, go, yeah, yeah. So there's data out there that shows that they actually use their dew claw. <laughs> um, there's just videos and, and um, kind of some research out there that show that actually dogs in sports and in kind of intense activity will use their dew claws. And so, I mean, I think, you know, it started way back when where, you know, people felt that they were getting hooked on things and, and causing injury. Um, but I think that our techniques have improved so much since then. I don't know. Um, but we don't see that at all. Um, you know, I, my, I have a Doberman. That's my breed. And, of course, her dew claws were removed when she was, you know, probably two days old. <laughs> um, does she do okay? Yeah. Does she have a massive shoulder injury? Yes. Is there a correlation? Who knows? Um, but yeah, so I think that you claw should stay. Um, I think that, uh, you know, if there's an injury that occurs down the road, could they be removed? Absolutely. I don't think necessarily if done right, do they cause harm by removing them? No, but they have to be done right. So I, I've seen some kind of botched cases where they leave remnants in there and that causes irritation, but, um, yeah. Yeah. The only other controversial thing you didn't bring up that I'm going to bring up is, uh, <laughs> is True. There's two, and then we'll, and then we'll, and then you can end. Um, one is you know spaying or neutering your dog and when to do it. You know most of the dogs I see they're doing field trial or, or hunting. Um, they're intact. You know, and and that's you know I I think that's the right thing to do is keep them intact because it keeps their muscle mass up, it keeps their drive. You know, it just makes I think it makes them more sharp. Um, you know, but if you're going to neuter your dog, um, then wait until their growth plates are closed. You know, wait until they're skeletally mature because there is definitely a link between, you know, if you look at some of these labs or retrievers in general, they're a little tall or long or lanky. And you find out when they were neutered and they were neutered early on. And the signal to the growth plates and to the, you know, the lung bones of when do you stop growing is, is the sex hormone. So if you took those away, these dogs continue to grow because that signal is not there. And, and we know then that confirmationally, things are off and they are then predisposed to some of these orthopedic injuries, including ACL. So, um, so I, I'm all in favor of if you have to do it, that's okay, but wait until their, uh, their growth plates I'm, are I'm laughing because in my household, you're allowed to keep your testicles as long as you're responsible <laughs> and use them well. And once you do not do that, they come off, no matter yeah. if you are human or dog, that's it. <laughs> luckily, I'm, luckily, I'm pretty fat, so that'd be uh, trying to get me. Yeah, that's not someone. That, and then as far as the age of training, that's the only other thing. You know, the typical retrievers, their growth plates are going to be closed. You know, if it's a male, typically a little, just around a year if they're a female, um, a little bit shy of that, but classically around a year is, or titch over. Um, so, you know, absolutely ground exercises are fine, but just the repetitive and especially the jumping down off of things, just be really cautious because they do have growth plates that are still open and they can get an injury. I had one lab that jumped out of a, um, it was a, I think it was a pickup truck. It was pretty high up. He had it on a lift and this dog landed weird and it was a young lab and unfortunately it injured its growth plate. All of a sudden that one leg starts turning out to the side a little bit like East coast, West coast, like a duck. And, uh, and it was because he sustained an injury to that growth plate when he landed out of the truck. And so just be really careful early on with these guys. Um, the jumping up's okay. The jumping down, um, again, they have very sensitive growth plates and they can cause some damage. Gotcha. Gotcha. 
Well, I definitely appreciate you guys making time and sharing all this wealth of knowledge. I'm going to have to ask you for for a list of some of those supplements so I can put up on the social media like I did uh, last week with Mark's uh, uh, first aid kit items. But uh, it, real quick, tell everybody where they can find you as far as your tele, uh, teleconsultations, your YouTube, your website, social media, all, all that fun stuff. Where can they find you at? Yeah, no, definitely. In the telecommunications, we do teleconsults, and I think that's really important. You might have a lab that's up in Montana, and you're like, you know what, I think I'm seeing something, but I'm not sure. My vet got some x-rays. It's the perfect case for us to help them out, you know, so you don't have to travel to Maryland uh, where we are. We can actually just get on the other side of the screen, look at your x-rays, you know, talk to you, see some videos of what your dog's doing, and really help from afar. And so if you go to our um, .com, um and we'll make sure we send you that link as well. Right on the front cover uh, or the, the landing page is the uh, information on scheduling a teleconsult. So we're, we, you know, we do those often, um, pretty much weekly, and uh, happy, happy to help in that regard. So whether we're trying to you know, educate an owner on, on an injury that their dog has or they're not quite sure what's going on and they're seeking some help, um, or sometimes they just want to talk about their dogs you know, like this, conditioning and supplements and, and things like that. So canapsportsmed.com. We also have a Facebook page, um, and the YouTube channel is where they can find uh, the videos um, for uh, for the uh, ex you know, stretching and massaging and exercising your dog. Um, those are all there as well. But you can find the links for those on the canapsportsmed. We have an entire area that's educational. All the papers we've published um, on all these types of things are in there as well. Um, so we have papers, videos, links to these things that we're talking about. Um, the other cool thing I'm kind of proud of, we have a thing called the Wall of Fame. Um, if you go to that, it's the dogs around the world that we've treated that do various sports. We have field trial, we have dock diving, we have lure coursing, we have agility. So a lot of the dogs we do um, are team dogs. We've done Team Canada, Team USA. Um, so it, it's kind of fun, you know, to see their stories or videos. Um, it's called the Wall of Fame. You can find that on our site also. And, uh, yeah. Fantastic. Well, again, thanks for making time. And, and this is going to definitely be one of those episodes that we have to go back and listen to, to uh, pick up all the different, <laughs> different names and, and stuff to, to practice. But, oh, it, it's fine. It's a, it's, it's a wealth of knowledge. And again, I uh, thank you for coming on and uh, we'll d definitely have to check back soon. Great. Sounds great. Excellent. Thanks for having us. Really thank appreciate you. it. Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup just have to replace it again in a year. Go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance 
They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pups start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.